0: We prepare to give. Uh, With our eyes closed, heads bowed, uh, can you just give up, just uh, silently where you are, just offer up a prayer of thanks for God's provision over your life. Just think over the last few days and give God thanks for just one specific way he has provided for you. And God, through Jesus, you teach us that you were willing to be poured out for us and move us today inspire us to pour out our lives for with you and for the world and that's what we do now as we give in this moment and use this to advance your kingdom in the name of jesus we pray amen for no matter how many promises god has made they are yes in christ and so through the amen and so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirits in our heart as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 20 through 22. So uh, I woke up this morning and uh, picked up the Gospel of Mark just to read some about Jesus. And in Mark chapter 6, Jesus goes back to his hometown. He goes to Nazareth. And it's there that uh, they reject his ministry. And I want you to think about this. He goes back to his hometown where he's walking up and down the streets and people knew his name. They knew his face. Like if they passed him on the road, they could say, hey... Jesus. They, they knew his name, they knew his face, they knew his family, yet when it came to his ministry, they rejected his authority and his power. And it just hit me because this is my concern for the church, not this church, for the global church of God around the world is that you have people who know his name and they know things about him and they've read about him and they can regurgitate information about him, yet uh, there are people throughout the world, Christians throughout the world, who reject Jesus' power and authority today of what he wants of what he intends for the church to be what what i love about what we're engaging in today so following this service you're going to hear at the end of this worship service some announcements about some service projects that we're going to we're going to do in the last few weeks there have been a lot of events in the life of this church we've had good friday services and prayer paths and we had easter sunday which is always a big weekend for this church and god's church Um, last weekend we had a 9 one offering a special offering today's a restore day so there are a lot of events Um, And I'm not anti-event. I don't think God's anti-events, but God isn't only about events. And I think it's good for the church to know that we don't just look forward to an event like a church camp or a mission trip or a service project day. We don't just look forward to it. It's that we live from them. Events shape how we enter into just the grind of daily life. They transform how we think about God in the everyday, um, just the everyday mundane things of life. All right, so Uh, In preparation for some things we're going to do today, I want to dive into uh, a few places throughout scripture. In John chapter 10, Jesus has two different I am statements that he makes. So the gospel of John, there are seven, eight uh, I am statements that Jesus makes, like I am the resurrection and the life. Uh, uh, in, um, In John 10, there are two of them. And it's almost in the same breath, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and I am the gate. Uh, Lynn Anderson, he uh, did some work with the elders here. Is like my grandfather in the faith. Lynn Anderson wrote a book a while back called "They Smell Like Sheep." Lynn tells a story about going over to Israel, where he actually saw, was able to witness the relationship between shepherd and sheep. This is something most of us know nothing about. It's not like a cattle driver who's driving his cattle. Shepherds often would live with, spend a lot of time with their sheep. Because sheep aren't smart enough to know where they're supposed to go. So shepherds would lead their sheep to water, lead them to green pastures. And Lynn tells the story of being on this tour where they looked out. And, and there's this tour guide who's talking to all these people on the tour about how sheep listen to the shepherd's voice. And anywhere the shepherd goes, the sheep goes. And they know the voice. And they won't follow anyone else. And they look out. And There's sheep, and there's a man chasing them with a knife. And the guy's like, dude, this whole illustration's breaking down right now because that's supposed to be a shepherd guiding his sheep, yet he's chasing them with a knife. The tour guide got off the bus and ran after this guy and was like, what are you doing? And the guy said, I am not a shepherd. I am a butcher, all right? And we don't want a shepherd who's like a butcher, right? We want a shepherd who leads. Lynn Anderson also told the story of looking out and watching these shepherds lead these sheep down all these little mini trails they came to this one big trail that led to this body of water for all the sheep to to, to get a drink. So these shepherds are leading their sheep down mini trails to a big trail. They get a drink, and then all the sheep are like mingling. They just become like one big group of sheep. So you couldn't tell like Bob's sheep from Tim's sheep. They're all together. And then when they went back down the one trail to break off, shepherds went down those many trails, hundreds of feet down. And then each shepherd would have their call to their sheep. And whatever their call was, these sheep would just break off down the trail following the voice of their shepherd. I want to know Jesus close enough. And well enough that wherever Jesus says go, and whenever Jesus says, I'm over here, I need you to pay attention and come this way, that we know his voice and we're following wherever it is that he leads. All right, so we get the image of the good shepherd. Jesus is a good shepherd who wants to lead us to good places. But then in the same breath, he throws out, I am the gate. And sometimes when we think gay, we may think, okay, yeah, Jesus is the way into heaven. He's the way into covenant with God, in which he is. But this this isn't Jesus talking about how he's like the heavenly bouncer. Like he's at the door and you want to come in and he's asking you to like show your ID or tell your conversion story or whatever that may be so that you could get in. The gate, it went something like this. Whenever the shepherds would finish hanging out with their sheep for the day, leading them to green pastures and to water, they would bring them to some kind of barricade. Depending on where they were, it was either in a cave, maybe some kind of fenced-in area, uh, maybe the size of like this stage, maybe a little bigger. And there would be one gate, one way in, one way out. And what the shepherd would do is he would literally become the gate. So he would stand in this place where before the sheep could go in for the night, Hopefully some of you can still see me. Before the sheep would go in for the night, the shepherd would take each sheep and would inspect them to make sure the thorns had been pulled out, that there weren't any bugs and ticks, touching, healing, blessing each sheep as they went in for the night. And then after all the sheep had gone in, the shepherd would lay down and would literally become the gate. All right, no pictures right now, please, all right? The shepherd would become the gate in which the shepherd would lay down in a way as if the shepherd was saying, all right, if there's any wolf or lion or a thief who wants to get my sheep, it literally has to go over my dead body. The shepherd would become the one who heals, the one who protects, who provides security. So uh, I was, I remember preaching, this, the first preaching job I had, and, and I looked out at this guy, Troy, in the audience, and I was like, Troy, man, you would do this for your kids, right? Like, at night, if you knew a robber was coming in, you would go to that front door, and you would become, like, the gate, so that that person could not get to your kids, and Troy just looked at me with this blank face, and his wife, during my sermon, shouts out and says, no, he wouldn't, I would, <laughs> Troy would be under the bed, all right? (laughs) The shepherd would literally become the gate. All right, now, here's what a shepherd would do. When the shepherd would take the sheep in his hands, he would pull out oil and he would anoint it. Oil can mean to smear or to rub on. And the shepherd would use oil to anoint wounds. And not only that, the shepherd would use oil to anoint the head of every sheep, especially around the ears, to keep bugs and insects and flies from latching on and attaching themselves because some sheep, if they didn't have oil around the ears, the bugs could get around them so much. It would literally like drive them insane, literally, to the point of death. All right, They would like bump, start ramming their heads into things. So the shepherds would anoint them. In John chapter 10, the language Jesus uses about becoming the gate and being the good shepherd is that the sheep go in and out. It's not just coming in is going in and out, and to live the abundant life. Now, the way anointing goes in the Bible, in the Old Testament, the language of anointing is primarily for kings. That kings were anointed, and it was a sign that they had been set apart. They had been ordained by God, that they were now in charge. It was like this ceremony of... I am anointing you, so you see King Saul is anointed when he becomes king david 's anointed, and then you can go and you can look all these other places where God is anointing, prophets are anointing, and it 's primarily people in leadership. In Psalm 45, there 's this, uh, this place where um, there 's this psalm, this song about uh, it 's a king 's marriage, but it also has some messianic language in it. So Psalm 45, verse 1 says, My heart overflows with the godly theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe. So this song was to a king who was about to get married. Psalm 45, verse 2, this is a verse Casey quotes to me at least five times a day. At lunch when we're calling just to chat about our days, how things are going, she will quote Psalm 45, verse 2, You are the most handsome of men. Grace grace is poured upon your lips. That one, uh, you know, that's... She quotes that quite a bit, all right? Grace is poured upon your lips. I don't know what it means, but therefore God has blessed you forever, all right? This is a psalm about a king who's about to get married. But here's the messianic language. Hebrews 1 quotes from Psalm 45, verse 6. Your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. Your royal scepter is a scepter of equity. You love righteousness and you hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Your robes are all fragrant, all right? So it's God who does the anointing. Here's what happens in the New Testament. Throughout the Gospels, you have some anointing that is happening. It's Jesus who is anointing people, or, like we heard at the table today, a couple of times there are people who anoint Jesus. There's a woman who anoints him with oil, and then after his death, there are people who anoint his body in preparation for his death. In the book of Acts, Jesus is the only one who is anointed. The word anointing is not used for what the Spirit does for the church, The word anointing is used for what God has done to Jesus. All right, now, you have a couple of places where this shows In Acts chapter 2, or Acts chapter 4, verse 27, it says, For in this city, in fact, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, they gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. In Acts chapter 10, verse 37 and 38, says that message spread throughout, throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John announced, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. All right, I'm not suggesting today that this is an intentional move in the book of Acts, that only Jesus is anointed. But I want to try to point out that what I want people to understand is that the book of Acts is not about how to structure the church. It has things to say about the church. But the book of Acts is about the faithfulness of Jesus. It's about God who wants to save and transform and redeem the world. It's about how the Spirit of God wants to bless the church and anoint the church and prepare the church. But how anointing works is that what God, God has accomplished something through Jesus. God has anointed Jesus, and as God anointed Jesus, it was setting apart Jesus for a specific task and for a specific plan. Jesus was anointed, and it was preparing him for a mission. It was preparing for a task, an assignment. To receive an anointing, in the case in the book of Acts, for Jesus to receive an anointing came with, uh, what came with it was great responsibility. It was an anointing preparing him. It was an anointing that commissioned him to be poured out. Which is how anointing works. An anointing is poured out on you. And not only are you the recipient of it, it gives you responsibility where now you prepare yourselves to be poured out for God. Uh, I think maybe the reason the book of Acts focuses so much on Jesus being anointed and that he is the center is that I think it is possible for us to begin to love the church in a way where we think the church, it becomes an idol, we worship the church, we love the church, and we can forget who the leader and the master and the center of the church is, which is Jesus. Because you don't want to engage in a mission if your heart and your affections aren't being stirred for Jesus. It's not about wanting heaven without also, more importantly, wanting Jesus, that he's a center of it all. Now, the way anointing goes from there is you have a couple of places where Paul and John pick up on this language, and as the New Testament progresses and you get beyond Acts, it's an anointing that comes to the church. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, it is, But it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us by putting his seal on us and giving us his spirit in our hearts as a first installment. And if you go on reading 2 Corinthians, what 2 Corinthians is speaking into is about preparing the church for ministry. And there are all these images and illustrations in chapter 2, 3, and 4 about the work of ministry. But here is focused on identity and how God anoints and the seal of the Holy Spirit in your life. In 1 John chapter 2, John picks up on some of this language. And in verse 20, what he says is, But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and all of you have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and you know that no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one denies the Son as the Father. Everyone who confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he has promised us. He's promised us eternal life. I write these things to you concerning those who would deceive you. That's for you, the anointing that you receive from Jesus, from Him, abides in you. And so you do not need anyone to teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, abide in Him. So for 1 John 2, it's that the anointing upon your life is teaching you what is right and what is wrong, what is true and what's a lie. The anointing that comes from God on our lives, it seals us with the Spirit. It tends to us in our brokenness and in our wounds, and it prepares us to engage. The anointing upon the church is for identity, and it's also for mission. It's a change of who you are and your status before God, but it's also preparation for an assignment, for responsibility, to be commissioned. And if you see the language of anointing in the Bible, it is something you receive. You don't earn it because you engage in the restore day. It's not something you get because you attend church so many days. The anointing of God is not something you buy or something. There are no works that you can do that leads up to it. It is something you receive. Back in 2003, I um, had a spiritual formation class in Abilene. And David Ray became one of the spiritual giants in my life. Was the first one who began to introduce me to prayer postures. So for him, he was using the Bible and history. And he's the first one that led me in the prayer. exercise. I often lead you in where we put palms down and then palms up, palms down. We're letting go. Uh, we're placing something at the feet of God and palms up to receive from the Lord. And I had never really, like, until that point in my life, had taken a posture of receiving from God. But now in my life, and this may not be true for you, but what's true for me is often the posture I take in prayer is what leads my heart into prayer. My heart follows what my posture is. So if I take a posture of submission, my heart often follows the posture into submission. If my hands represent they're open and they're not closed when I pray, they're open before the Lord, it prepares my heart to receive from God. So when it comes to an anointing, it is not something you buy or that you earn. It's something that we open our hands and that we receive from God. I don't know if you've ever heard of the guy named Crazy George. Uh, Crazy George is, uh, he's a professional cheerleader. So there are sports teams around the nation who hire Crazy George and he comes in to lead fans in cheers. Uh, and he did something in 1981 and he didn't know he was going to start something that would take over arenas and stadiums all over the place. It was a third game in the playoffs in October. It was the New York Yankees versus the Oakland A's. The game was being played in Oakland. And crazy George woke up that day and he thought, I want to do something big. I don't just want to lead people in cheers. I want to help bring everyone in the stadium into the same cheer. Now, before 1981, there had been cheers. I mean, maybe you've heard stuff before, like, we got spirit, yes, we do. We got spirit out by you. And then the other side will yell back, we got spirit, yes, we do. We got spirit out by you. There, there are cheers, like, uh, I have a, have a professor who went to school, or I had a professor who went to school in Nashville, and he would go to some Vanderbilt football games back when Vanderbilt, well, I guess they haven't really been good at football much at all, all right. But, but there would be teams that would just be to destroy them in games, and their fans had a cheer, and their cheer was, that's all right, that's okay, you're going to work for us one day, all right? Uh. But Crazy George had this idea, so he stood up in one section, he's like beating his drum, trying to get everyone's attention. He says, here's what I want to do. I want this section to stand up and put your hands in the air, and then this section over here, you're going to do what they did. And he tried it, and it failed. And then he would beat his drum with the next section to get their attention. So he wanted this section to know what he wanted them to do. And then he ended up having the attention of three different sections. And over and over again, he wanted this group to stand up and put their hands in the air and this one to follow. And time and time again, it just failed. And he kept trying until it caught on. And it started going all the way around the stadium. And on October 15th, 1981, the wave began which you don't even have to be a sports fan to know what the wave is, right? Like it's that thing that starts and you have people who are like, I'm way too cool for the wave, but it goes around like two or three times and then they're getting up, you know, doing it. And the wave, it may be silly, but in a way it's like all the fans are coming together for one purpose, to engage in a cheer to help the home team win. We're going to go and we're going to do a restore project today. There's still some service projects to engage in. And this isn't like to check the list of this is my service project for the year. Well, we have found at Sycamore Views that when we do these restore days, it helps open us up to what God's doing, what it means for daily life. There's relationship building that happens with these because often the people you serve with are people you get to know better and relationships are formed. And kind of like the wave, whatever we start today and whatever we engage in, we want to spread. We want it to spread throughout the world. Um, so we're going to sing a song if the shepherds if you will go ahead and get in your place to receive people for prayer Because some of you may be asking maybe you want to ask today For a prayer of the anointing of god upon your life or an illness or a health issue Or some form of brokenness for god to tend to that So around the room we will have shepherds and prayer leaders to receive you and as they go in their places to receive people for prayer, or maybe this is the day you want to confess Jesus as Lord and be baptized. There was a novel that came out a while back called My Lady of the Chimney Corner. And there's this one scene in the novel. And there's a woman who's going to her neighbor's house. And her neighbor's, her, her young son had just passed away. And he was, he was laying there. His body was there. And here's what she said over them. She said, all woman... God isn't a printed book to be carried around by a man in fine clothes, nor a cross dangling at the watch chain of a priest. God takes a hand wherever he can find it and just does what he likes with it. Sometimes he takes a bishop's hand and lays it on a child's head in benediction, and then he takes the hand of a doctor to relieve pain, the hand of a mother to guide a child, and sometimes he takes the hand of a poor old creature like me to give comfort to a neighbor. But they're all hands touched by the Spirit. And His Spirit is everywhere looking for hands to use. And may that be something that we embrace and live into today. Let's stand together. Let's sing a song. Feel free to find one of our prayer leaders this morning.